I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For today's Unthinkable, we're going to start with a joke. My dad has suggested that I register for a donor card. He's a man after my own heart. That pun by Masai Graham was voted funniest joke at this year's Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Needless to say, delivered with more comic effect. My guest today, Professor Eric Weitz of the Department of Drama, Trinity College Dublin, is here to explain what makes a good joke and also whether humour is anything more than trivial entertainment. Professor Weitz is a board member of the International Society for Humour Studies, which held its annual meeting in Dublin this year. And he's the author of a recently published book, Theatre and Laughter, exploring the wisdom-giving properties of comedy. Professor Weitz, you're very welcome. Thank you. I'm conscious of the danger of discussing the nature of jokes in a completely unhumorous fashion. And indeed, you quote the essayist uh, E.B. White in your book that humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. So is, is that the nature of a joke that you know it when you see it, but as soon as you try to take it apart, it's lost? Well, I say, I guess you have to admit that it is the nature of a joke that when you try to explain it, you... Um, kill the part of it that's meant to go without saying, and that is um, the signal feature of joking, and that is that I say something to you that doesn't make literal sense, but you perceive that it's a joke, so you look for alternative ways of making sense of it. You make a connection um, between the two unrelated parts because of some shared unspoken knowledge between us, and hopefully you laugh, but that does that does say that it's the living part of it between you and I that is what causes laughter. And so that's true technically, but I would also say that it's it's good to analyze um, jokes and laughter just because of this goes-without-saying aspect to it because you can find what people think, what a culture thinks, and how a culture feels about things um, by what they joke about. I mean, this touches on what humor, what function it serves, and can it convey knowledge or can it con- contain wisdom? And a lot of thinkers down the ages would have been quite mm-hmm. critical of humor. You know, the sort of serious philosophical thinkers would have been quite dismissive of it as a constructive project because it doesn't seem to represent any systematic thinking. How would you respond to those sort of criticisms? Well, that's that's logic. That's the stiff-necked authoritarian trying to say that you have to be serious all the time and not acknowledging that there are some ways of voicing truisms that feel truer than true because they're made from an alternate perspective. They're made from a parallel logic. That's one of the things that I say that in making a point Humorously, if you get laughter, you've reached into that other person's body and pulled something out of them without their permission, so to speak. And to me, that is a a formidable effect to have on somebody. That's not to say that you can't move people by talking in serious terms, but I'm 
But I would say that comic humorous discourse is historically undervalued. I mean, I, I guess I'm playing the uh, the devil's advocate here as the unhumorous Platonist here now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I mean, one of the things he would say is, he, he said in his writings was that, you know, it, it almost brings the worst out in people, laughter, especially uh, sort of laughter from superiority, laughing at other people's misfortune or kind of trying to take down people a peg or two because you're kind of been blind to your own faults. You're kind of laughing at other people's faults. How does humour then interact in, with those sort of moral issues because there, there maybe is a type of humour that maybe reinforces prejudice, for instance, rather than challenging it. That's exactly right. And there, um, to me, there is this whole issue about political correctness and being able to joke about certain things and, and not joke about other things. And I would say that you, they would call it the superiority theory, but I, th- and that is that you laugh at somebody else's misfortune. Um, I think that is too narrow. The the point is that all jokes, and some people like me would say all good jokes, make fun of somebody or something. On the other hand, there is no such thing as funniness as an actual property of things. It's always personal for the person in the audience or for the listener. And so if you make a joke that you think is utterly funny and I think it's inappropriate or something, I'm not wrong. Um, And so that is why it's difficult when you get into material that could be seen as contentious in a broader population. And in terms of your own study in this, in this field and the International Society for Humor Studies, I, I, was, I was curious to read, for instance, there's a, there's a general theory of verbal, verbal humor, and I'm sure there's other theories out there yeah. of competing schools of humor. Um, I mean, is there a consensus around what makes something funny? Well, the Humor Society is extremely multidisciplinary. So you have linguists, which is where that GTVH theory comes from. And then you have would have uh, anthropologists and psychologists and philosophers and uh, English teachers and, and uh, hospital clowns, for that matter. The three main theories in congruity, that there's a frame clash, superiority, which for me is that you're always laughing at something, and relief in that there is some kind of of emotional discharge in laughter, which we can see in the laughing body. Um, To me, all those three have to do with it. And I think many of us now um, no longer think that any given one of them can completely explain what happens when somebody laughs. But even all three of those together, even though they speak to different parts of it, um, they're probably not even sufficient in themselves. Some people would say there's a there's an element of surprise that's important, um, but then how do you explain the fact that we, you know, watch Faulty Towers um, on a regular basis and always look forward to and laugh at the same parts of it? Looking at humour in an Irish context, uh, you've been here for some time now, and I don't know whether you perceive that humour plays a particularly strong role within Irish theatre and literature. The criticism at times might be we can't deal with the serious matter without uh, lightening it with a joke. Is that a characteristic of Irish theatre and maybe cultural life? I would say I would say it is if you say that Irish uh, humour is um, often dark. You know, I would say that that is a way for us to grapple with reality. Um, and this is why uh, Freud devoted a whole essay to it in 1927 um, on humor, um, saying it, it, it was one of the best weapons that uh, the human psyche has ever devised to fight against the realities. He didn't say it like that, but that's more or less what he said. 
Um, and I think that's true. It's that ability to step out of the high beams, step beside, aside from the high beams of what's really coming at you in terms of the, the heaviness of your life and look at it from a slightly dis- a different perspective and maybe lighten it a bit for you and, and kind of put it into pr- perspective and looking after yourself in such a way that you don't just meet everything head-on and serious all the time. Some theorists say that that is what humor and laughter are for, and that is because we need to this, not a timeout, we just need a demobilization at regular intervals because if you try to take on life straight on every minute of the day, you are going to wear yourself out. Does it constitute, you think, a kind of philosophical outlook that as well, you know, almost embracing the absurd in in life and the absurdity does, of the human condition. It does embrace the absurd. And I also have said that or have thought that, um, especially in I- Ireland, the, the, that the humor um, exhibits a healthy disrespect for authority, which I, I really like or which gets me. When my wife and I first came here in 1993, the first or second day we went to the Writers' Museum on Parnell Square and I read this one exhibit about this guy named Flann O'Brien who I had never heard of before. And immediately I thought, oh, my God, this this guy has my sense of humor. Maybe I belong here. And uh, went out and bought his books. And uh, I'm not an easy laugh, um, but he makes me laugh by myself. Um, and that, to me, said then and continues to say that that's why I ended up here. Eric Rice, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.